Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is brand guru Simon Taylor, founder of Swipe Right Experience and the Hospitality Portal. Coming up on today's show, Simon talks us through his management capability. Oh uh, yeah, I, I, yes, I don't manage badly. There you go, that's probably the best way to describe that. Phil reveals what life was like on cruise ships. They did let me out occasionally. I was allowed to, to speak to people. And Simon tells us what he likes with a nice glass of Pinot Noir. Uh, you know, a selection of British cheeses with syphilis chutney. All that and a whole lot more as Simon talks us through his story and journey to date. If you're enjoying the shows, we'd love for you to hit subscribe and give us a like and a share across your social networks. Please also leave us a written review on whatever platform you're listening. It makes a massive difference. Enjoy. Well, hello, good afternoon, and welcome to the next edition of the Hospitality Meets podcast with me, your host, Phil Street. Today, I introduce to you the wonderful Simon Taylor, who is the founder of experience agency Swipe Right, and also the founder of the uh, hospitality portal and we'll come on to all of that further down the line of the conversation because uh, both of them I think have some real intrigue about them but Simon welcome to the show good afternoon good afternoon how are you very good very good yeah. are you keeping well yourself well we're trying yes I think you know enough about the social distancing right now so an online podcast is socially distant enough good it'll do for <laughs> now for sure so yeah Simon and I actually go back probably far too many years way to mention mm-hmm a very, very different time for both of us. Uh, I was working, we were both working with, uh, for P&O Cruises at the time. So this is back in the early 2000s. I was uh, in food and beverage and you were in the youth department. I was, that was a long time ago. 20 years now, isn't it? My it word. is, yeah, yeah. And the thing about this is, is that this is one of the reasons why I was really keen to get you on board because um, that wasn't a ship pun, by the way. Hey. Because your background to me says everything about the potential of life in this industry <laughs> because you definitely don't have a, a CV that I would say conforms to the norm. Good. But I'll let you tell us a bit about that. So maybe you can take us all the way back to the very beginning, even kind of just post-school, uni, tell us what you were doing and kind of how you got into this illustrious mm. industry. Well, you know, I A, thank you for having me on. It's it's uh, it's lovely catching up with you. Uh, it's lovely being uh, asked to do this sort of stuff. And 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 yeah, my career's probably been a bit more unconventional than it has been conventional or prescribed. I think as as some might see it. So um, yeah. I think I've been lucky actually. As much as you look at it as unconventional, I think I've actually been lucky because I've it's been quite wide. It's been quite varied, but it's always circulated around hospitality. Yeah. And I'm I think I'm lucky that I fell into hospitality. Um, I think you go and find hospitality as a person anyway, because it's about people and it's about giving great hospitality or just having that essence within you anyway. And I started in a, in a pub when I was at university, I needed, I needed some cash to go out and I found that I could work in a, in a bar, Seamus O'Donnell's in Kingston, if anybody remembers that in 1997, and I wasn't, I wasn't a good student at all. I was dreadful. In fact. I think I'm probably got an A in barbecue fire lighting and an A in beer drinking when it came to my A levels. I, you know, I wasn't a great student. I played sport. Uh, my sport kind of got me into university. I didn't do well. I was not a good student. I'm good practically, and I think there are much better practical courses out there for people. But I was dreadfully exams and that sort of stuff too. Right. Um, and I kind of fell into hospitality because it was great. I liked it. It paid me, and I worked in a bar. And I was a barman, and my, you know slightly 
acerbic personality to some probably but my fun personality uh working in a pub busy pub with lots of students and that sort of thing was brilliant and I really really enjoyed it but and that's where it kind of starts once you're in hospitality I think you continue in that guise for a period of time and as an industry it's huge hospitality is absolutely massive um in our country but across the world as well as people can afford to sort of go out and uh enjoy time with friends and family that bit more Mm. um I think I've experienced probably quite a bit of the the range of hospitality. So no, my CV isn't uh, isn't the most standard one out there. But it all starts in bars. Probably finishes in bars as well. Occasionally, Phil. That's, that's how it works. But, <laughs> it always finishes in bars. You know. So you, after what did you do at university? Apparently, I was doing sports science and business. Okay. Um, I finished after a period of time anyway, where um, the rugby club I was actually sort of aligned to uh, went professional. The unprofessional, the sort of second or emerging ages as I were um got a don't turn up to training on Tuesday you're not wanted anymore (laughs) the very next day of that my university dean picked up the phone and went you do realize you're gonna have to do some work now by the way you got a repeat a year of which I didn't and I and I left at that point actually and that's when funny enough that's when I ran away to sea so um I always say run away to sea because you you and I know having worked on cruise ships I'm not saying everybody but there's a majority of people out there running away from something when they go on a cruise ship or it was back then and the joy of of having taught sports on a cruise ship uh, over a, a summer and a summer job when I was at university, all of a sudden I can then go and spend, you know, six months in the Caribbean and six months in the Mediterranean. Yeah. Um, I was going to go back on for three or four months and I went back on for about three and a bit years in the end. And it's all hospitality. You've got to learn right from the very beginning to the very end, um, a really structured environment. It was a very structured environment. And yeah, we had to, we had to do everything, at least in our department, everything when it came down to entertainment, but also care. So there was a lot of structure, whether that be food and drink, whether that be you know, aligning stores, whether that be getting people's entertainment right or their care right or whatever on board. It was probably a better structure for me that three years and more education in, in theory for me in that three years than, than my university uh, my university time was. Yep. And when I came back from the sea, I missed it tremendously. And I think everybody does who, who, who's, been a, who's been a merchant seaman, a mariner, somebody that's been out there, they miss that. They miss that sort of structure around them. Yeah, I, I don't know about that. I I was uh, five and a half years. <laughs> Did you with, do five and a half years, Michael? You know, in the end, I was definitely ready to get off <laughs> at that point. But you weren't allowed out into the sunshine that often. That's true. That's true. A lot of the time for me was out in the sunshine. It was socialising with people, and it was very active and on my feet. You know, you were kept in the in in the um, in the darkness, weren't you? In in the F and B departments, in you know planning and in the kitchens and all that sort of thing too. That's a yeah. tough place to be on a cruise ship. They did let me out occasionally. I was allowed to to speak to people um, and things like that. With your factor fifty on, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. But you know, listen, I came, I went from cruise ships, and that's when I started. Funnily enough, into F and B, it was an accident. Uh, it was a health and fitness club who had a massive site. I helped them set up. It was perfect for me doing all that sort of setup. It was very varied. And they and I sort of said, well, listen, you know, we, we've got a, a deputy general manager. You're not quite assistant general manager. But listen, the, the next step of that is head of food and beverage. Do you like food and drink? And I went, yeah. All right, then I'll do that. And it really was one of those sort of brilliant. It found you, yeah. as in somebody prescribed it a bit more for me. Right. And then I went from me to a team of like 24. Five thirty people in in F and B running a restaurant, running a bar, doing catering and events and a whole lot of other things. Did it for a, a year and a bit, and then uh, I picked up and then ran off to the Middle East. I worked in Abu Dhabi for about three years and had a fantastic time running running off there. Just uh, 
uh, humour me for a moment. Uh-oh. How did the uh, going from the ro- the job that you did on board a ship yeah. into uh, a f- an F and B role, which granted it's still a hospitality focused position, but a very different kind of focus in terms of this, I suppose, the skill set that you need to do it. How did you manage that transition? Because that's about uh, you know, I suppose, managing a team within a, a bar and an event space is a very different beast from what you were doing on ships oh uh, yeah I, I yes how do i manage badly there you go that's probably the best way to describe that <laughs> i well i did manage badly i mean i look back at it now and i kind of roll my eyes and think oh geez that was dreadful um right. but i'm sure i'm sure some people out there do a similar thing where they kind of look back at their career and go crikey i was dreadful then or wasn't i just the worst manager at that point yeah and i look at and i, I i'm a very sort of retrospective person anyway i sort of look at myself and 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 I'll beat myself up over that quite a lot. The difference of that is if I if I then took a step back and sort of said, well, why were you so bad? I wasn't experienced in F&B then. Don't get me wrong. I've worked in a pub, and I was really lucky that when I worked at a pub at uni, you know, that the manager was good enough, alcoholic enough, slack enough to make sure that I did some managerial tasks, if you'd like. It wasn't big, yeah. but it was enough to enough to take the reins uh, in in some form of management. And actually, I look back now, and I and I look at, the my manager at that period of time my manager the md at that period of time probably should have put his arm around me and went uh i know you're at your depth here why don't we give you a a well-experienced number two who can help you do x y and z that you need to do to cover some of your gaps yeah um i was good at running the team i was good with the puns i knew i was you know all those other here's your really good stuff why don't we try and build that little around you and i didn't i wouldn't i think i i wouldn't say it's combusted but it probably I was more stressed, and the stress that, that F&B provides is fairly significant. We were put really under the cosh. I think before we opened, it was a brand new opening. I probably slept in the restaurant for the first however many nights you know, to get things going. But that was my, yeah. that was the response. Stick your head down, work harder. And it, it works for a period of time. It's good, but it doesn't work forever. And uh, I left there annoyed that I hadn't done more, actually. Uh, I left there not very happy. And I left there sort of going, well, you know, let's forget my soldiers. I don't really want to have to go and do that that type of effort again. But I also realized, oh, dear, I need a job now. I didn't really want to go out to sea. Um, by coincidence, I had a uh, a young lady, I can't remember which agent she was with, uh, who I applied to say, listen, I'm looking for a job. This is what's on. But, of course, I was competing in the F&B world now with F&B directors. I wasn't F&B managers. I wasn't experienced enough, really, to compete at the wage that I wanted. And, of course, I haven't had that sort of transition all the way through F&B to get myself that this guy's very experienced, he knows what he's up to, he's young and he's on a certain path. And I wasn't getting interviewed at all. Um, and after about a week or so of, oh, would you like this job? Yeah, okay, we'll have a chat to them, fine. You know, they didn't want to speak to you. I was like, what? Okay. And it was a, it was, it was me being a bit more bullshit and saying to, the, saying to the, 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 the young lady at the time, listen, you said you'd get me an interview uh, with that guy, this job, which was the job in Abu Dhabi. I said, whenever he arrives in Heathrow for his interviews on that day, I'll be there half an hour early at his at his hotel in Heathrow, because as we told me, it's Heathrow T4. I'll be there half an hour early, and I'll have a cup of coffee with him, because I need the interview practice, number one, and number two, I'm interested in the job. Yep. Um, fortunately... High-risk strategy, yeah? Well, you know, it's you've got to stick out, and the one of the things I think people are going to find most difficult with where we are right now, we're in lockdown right now, we're doing, you know, podcasts, that sort of thing, is you don't necessarily get to see people. That's really difficult in hospitality. Yeah. 
really, really difficult hospitality when you're not meeting people face to face. So in, impressing your personality is more difficult. Managing is more difficult. All that sort of it's just that much more difficult. But I was lucky enough where the lady had said uh, the the agent had actually said, yeah, okay, he'll meet you but it's going to be for half an hour and there isn't really an expectation. I think he's being polite and doing us a favor. I was like, okay, fair enough. So I met him and he had two days of interviews, but that night he phoned me up and said, do you fancy coming to Abu Dhabi? (laughs) And I thought, I said yes straight away. I haven't really researched it. I just said yes straight away. My uncle uh, had worked in in Saudi, in Muscat, in Nigeria, in all sorts of places, did telecoms. So being an expat wasn't going to be a disaster in my head. (laughs) I said yes straight away. I then realized, hang on, he's got another day of interviews tomorrow, but I actually think he wants to go to Scotland to go and see his family. He was a super, super lovely guy, uh, a brilliant uh, a brilliant GM, actually, this uh, private club in, in Abu Dhabi. And he just said to me, great, I'll get the financial director to put you a flight, and I'll see you next week in Abu Dhabi. I was like, oh, good, lovely. Put the phone down, yeah. and then had to Google and try and learn how to spell Abu Dhabi for the first time. <laughs> Uh, and see where it was, and that was the and that was that move. And I spent two and a half, three years of a really happy, uh, a really happy time there. That would be uh, about the time that uh, Abu Dhabi was putting itself on the map versus Dubai as well. If I'm right, yeah. I mean, Abu Dhabi had all the money, and Dubai had all the expansion. I was lucky. It was about 2003. I think I went out there, and I spent about three years out there. It was it was brilliant. I, I was working for a, a private members expat club, uh, looking after all the F and B the they had um, some challenges that I could get through as well. So when I got there, things are high, for me anyway, coming from a cruise ship environment and from UK, for me, some of the, um, some of the basic standards around hygiene weren't there, um, right. of which I've experienced on cruise ships and I could implement. And then I could really get my feet under the desk about sort of expanding some of the outlets or developing them. My GM was an XF&B guy anyway. So it just felt like I got some great tutelage and great support from that, from that management system. Um, the other ops managers uh, around were also just good, experienced people. Um, it was a private members club, so everybody was looking out for one another. You had to be good in your feet and chat to a few people. That was part of that job. So it it fitted me really, really well, um, and I and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I was very lucky. Um, you know, 12, uh, 12, 13 different restaurants and bars, and developing you know quite a lot of. Uh, events and that type of thing around the outside of it is 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 just great to do when you're young and in your twenties. You work six days a week and uh, live on site and operating and doing a twenty hour day sometimes is because you love it because you really enjoy what you're doing and that's what it's all about. That's exactly what it's all about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So from two and a half years there, yeah, two and a half years there. Um, where did I go from there? I was actually due to come back to work in uh, the Barclays Building in London. Okay. I was going to get, for some bizarre reason, get into facilities management, but it was a very F&B, it was F&B role. They feed 6,000 people a day, can get into what is an internal contract catering role, look after our contractor. Um, I can't remember exactly how I got that job, but I'd signed a contract and I was waiting for the contract to come back and the contract didn't come back. I'd actually asked to, uh, I actually planned to try and come back from uh, Hong Kong. I was going to fly to Hong Kong and come back from Hong Kong by train to London. That was my plan. I was going to do my traveling for six months. Wow. And I planned it out. I spent loads of time on it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And before I was going to go to Hong Kong, literally, it must have been fairly serendipitous anyway, but I, um, uh, the, the FD didn't book to Hong Kong because the job fell through in London. So I didn't have that sort of guarantee income, but I'd already quit my job and quit everything else in the Middle East. So he booked me on a flight back to London. So I went back, to, went back to London. Unusually for me, actually, at that period of time, I felt that I needed one job to go to, to, to another. 
um, I, I went back to London without a job. And it was really tricky because, you know, I was then applying for things and not really having UK experience strong enough in F&B again. But that's after a period of time at about 25 different other interviews. Um, that's when I landed a, a, a fab job, really super lucky with, with Bacardi. And I worked for the Bacardi global team. Uh, they were in London, in Marlebone. I spent eight and a half, nine years there looking after brand homes, brand experiences, visitor centers, experiential marketing fundamentally. And with a, with a huge issue, as soon as I got there, there would be nobody running it. So I came in and going, oh, brilliant. Okay, well, at least there's a problem I can get on with and start solving. Um, I was meant to have joined with somebody else. He didn't turn up. So it was basically me and I had to build my own little empire, if you like, my own little team. Um, and I built that over a period of sort of three or four years. I got going a bit quicker, which was good. And then the the industry, the spirits industry, started realizing that, that experiential advocacy is is a really strong, really, really strong aspect of what we're meant to be doing in general. And I think... As, we, a, as a grouping of two words together, that's uh, cracking two words yeah so the, the 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 joys of the joys of this is that nobody was doing it at the time so what would actually be happening is there'd be a um a brand for example bacardi um and bacardi have a visitor center over in puerto rico Two hundred fifty thousand people used to visit there every year um and then they'd sort of say well people are drinking bacardi from there but nobody was really tracking it nobody was doing anything with it nobody was sort of um actually saying to somebody else saying hang on is this a is this a good thing to do or not it's costing a fortune so Again, when I when I came in, I'd like to think that I had some sort of steadying of that ship. But the 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 difficulty is uh, all the politics, family, company, all that sort of stuff as well. So I loved it because I took a a pragmatic F and B view on it on the commercial side, right? And then spent eight years learning about brands and marketing and global marketing and local brands and consumers and this sort of stuff too. And then as I came out of out of that, I was starting to realise that you know we're we're sitting at the forefront of something here. You know, there, there aren't many brands doing this type of thing anyway around the world. Yet yeah, Mercedes has got Mercedes-Benz World and VW got their VW World and, you know, then this Ferrari World and a few other things. That's Motors. The, the, yeah. the world of spirits have had a number of, uh, a number of visitor experiences for many, many years, but nobody was really managing it centrally at all in any company. Um, so Bacardi, we're very much ahead of that. And we were developing systems and, and ways to aid people to fall in love with the brand. And... In hospitality, that's pretty rare, pretty difficult to do. A lot of people miss that link between operations, brand, getting frictionless function in the right areas. You don't have to be perfect, not by a long way. But if you get the frictionless function in the right place, you can look brilliant. So it doesn't matter. The whole thing has to be perfect. But you've got to be perfect in certain areas that matter. And if you get those things in, in the right place, and if you get the brand in the right place, and if you can line the function, the brand up with what you want the consumer experience to be, you get a brand experience. And that brand experience can be absolutely the most powerful way to communicate with anybody. Uh, and it can have lifelong advocacy. Um, uh, my wife, Mrs. Taylor, went to the Guinness Storehouse, which is another great, uh, another fantastic experience. She still puts Guinness on our Sainsbury's order, whether we need it or not. <laughs> I'm happy about that. That's a good thing. Yeah, no. But it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a, a response of what do I drink? Oh, I'll drink this. Yeah. Because you trust it. And it, you know, it, it reaches people in an emotional way. And if you can get that function, the experience, you can get that brand, you can have this sort of brand communication and brand experience all together. If you pull that in all together and you can hit the right consumer moment, people will love you for life. And that is saving other brands a fortune.
because that's what a lot of people try and do in the brand world is is how can I get somebody to repeatedly either brand or interact with or buy my brand and so I think we were very much at the forefront of some of that because nobody had really drawn the connections in such depth um, as what we'd done on on one project to another um, you know planning how many people are going to be drinking your product after you've done a very very big capital spend was challenging but not many people I don't think had, had done it before especially outside the spirits industry I'm sure people have done it you know obviously in, in our own little worlds we think we're kind of special or kind of brilliant but it was just a, it was a, a different and new way to uh, to act um, and that's really what we do within our agency now is actually how we help people transfer from where they are operating as a hospitality operator you know bar or restaurant hotel or whatever that may be and how can we get people to really fall in love with you in a, in a sense that they want to come back? They want to tell people about you. You don't have to get people to, um, you know, to sponsor them to go and tell people about you. It's, it's, you know, it's at best, it's, it's a, uh, you know, a paid advert. And at, at worst, it's really sort of rigid and formal. The best times when people recommend it is when I, you know, I'm on the phone to you. Oh, Phil, you should really go to, uh, you should really go there. They're brilliant. Oh, man, they're brilliant. They're great. And, and if you can tell, and I tell you why they're so good or what they do that's well or a dish that you're meant to have, and it becomes a very natural recommendation or something you posted on social or whatever those things are, yeah. it, it's, that's, that's, that's the potency. It's the potency of a brand. And that's what people have to do to, to build brands at the very least is, um, is get down to all of those um, nitty gritty parts of brands and planning and activation and activity and that sort of thing too. And about how it's really going to come through and, and pay back a business. Yeah. Um, too many people are stuck on Instagram going, hey, we're great. Uh, and it does nothing for their business. Yeah. Okay. I do, it's funny that you should say that because I, I remember at university and I actually was like you a little bit. I wasn't particularly acad academic uh, when it came to doing case studies and affecting a change. That was, if it was a project, that was when I came alive. But like you, I yeah. couldn't do exams. I was terrible at exams. But I remember a, a subject matter of the very same thing in, that fell in, into the marketing suite of the, the modules that, that we learned was about that very point about, I think they called it like the, the lifetime value of a, of a customer or something like yep. that. When, yeah, 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 yeah. If they've enjoyed it, they then go and tell five people who yeah. then might go and experience it themselves. But that we, we never used to use the word experience. But I, I think yeah. it's such a massive it's a it's a massive reason why you do things, right? Um yeah. it's for the experience. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. I mean uh, there's a lot of people out there. I'm about I'm probably gonna offend everybody. Not many people know about experience. Yeah. Um the amount of interior design people that say, hey, we know about experience, they don't. And I mean that genuinely. They don't. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've, I've seen and worked with a few. They don't. Uh, the amount of architects, they don't. The amount of architects is actually a bit frightening. There's some very good architects out there who get it, but there's also some architects out there that don't. Mm. There are a whole lot of restaurants and bars that don't get experience. They think they deliver a great experience. They don't. Um, the consumer said they don't. They think they do. They haven't actually talked to their consumer. They don't know what they're meant to be doing for their consumer. They just know what they are meant to be doing. And I think that the most successful restaurants and bars out there are on their own. They're on their own in their little white space because what they're doing is they're delivering something which they think is the best thing they can possibly deliver. And they're going to get people to go. They're going to get people to go because usually they are the best at doing what they're doing. Great. Everybody else isn't. 
and the world's super, super transient. You know, we can go from one restaurant to another and call it our favorite, go from one bar to another, call it our favorite. The competition's much bigger. The, you know, everything is so different. Yeah. Um, and and then, you know, people jump up and go, we know what we're doing, the experience. And you go, no, you don't. You've got no bloody idea whatsoever. We give a great experience. And I go, yeah, but it's also boring. Or um, we've got this type of thing. And we, we, we know what we're doing. It's like, no, you don't. You know, you could be great on Instagram. Well done. How does that affect your experience in store? And how can you link those two things together? Hey, we give this moment and that moment. You go, okay, that's one factor that you've delivered. Mm. I had an argument with an interior designer at a conference once. I think you you, you, you weren't there, but you'd have laughed. The guy told me, I said, you know, um, everybody in my restaurant or everybody, we designed something. Was he an interior designer come after? He said, we designed something. And now uh, the biggest problem for our the person we designed for, he was telling me about it, he said, he said that the uh, all of his customers want to take photos and his food comes out or his food is basically consumed cold. And I just told him, I said, I, I think it's a big problem for a lot of people, by the way. But I said to the guy, I said, well, then you're a shit designer <laughs> because you've not designed in what the consumer needs. Yeah. Uh, so what did you do for the design? Did you give them a photo opportunity at the very beginning to get their cameras out? Did you then basically craft what you wanted to do on social for cameras and whatever? Or did you say no cameras and no phones? Because you can do one or the other, but going in the middle, doing nothing, and then telling it's the consumer's problem, you're wrong. Mm -hmm. The consumer's going to do it anyway. You've just not created the right experience for them. So when you say it's subpar now, the only thing is subpar is that experience design has not actually been part of your vernacular, your thinking. And you need to think about what type of experience you're going to have. Yeah. And it sounds to me like these punters that are coming through want to take photos. So why haven't you helped them? Yeah. And, and you know, he, he kind of rebutted a few times. Eventually, I said, listen, you're the guy with the problem, not me. I'm trying to help you out here. You know, let us know if you need a hand. I'm all here. But don't blame, don't blame the consumer for doing something that they want to go do. Because they will. They're going to do it anyway. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, Sorry, we're, we're all consumers, right? At the end of the day. I mean, I, yeah. I consume far too much uh, food. <laughs> um, out in the the structure. and when we're not in lockdown situation, I have to to add in. Fair enough, fair enough. But you know, it, it doesn't matter if you're a, a designer or a, a GM or a, you know a, a, an owner, an FD, whatever. You you will still go out and consume experiences. Yep. And this is the thing that I I think I think this maybe underlies what you you're just saying is that there's an awful lot of people overthink things or come at it from their own perspective without really thinking about it from yeah. if I'm consuming this, what do I want? And yeah. the one thing that I always, this is not actually a food thing, but I always come back to this. And I think I've even mentioned this in a, a previous conversation uh, on the podcast, but my wife is um, massive on lighting in bathrooms Oh yeah, yeah. because you know, that's the space where yeah. if we're in a hotel room and we're getting ready to go out, that's the place where she's, yeah. getting ready to go out yeah. so if the lighting's dark yeah, totally. then it's a, one of our biggest bugbears yeah. and that's just a question of somebody who's just thought well that looks good but they haven't thought about it from the the end user yeah my uh, uh, you and i have wives of, uh, of a similar ilk if you put your makeup on into a dark or bad lit bath and you go out looking like you've <laughs> you've uh, you know you got the builders in to put the foundation on yeah. you know and it's and, and they don't look natural they don't feel great when they're going out and you're like oh why not what so i know my wife carries a um uh, a portable mirror and basically we'll put that portable mirror tiny portable mirror when we go you know we're traveling where it is you know it's only a couple of inches hmm. five six inches however big that is um basically on on the window looking outward just so she gets some daylight yeah 
And you're like, oh, okay, why don't you do it in the bathroom? And she's like, well, because the light's poor. <laughs> oh, why is the light poor in the bathroom? Why has nobody got a daylight bulb in the bathroom saying, here's your makeup mirror yeah. and here is your makeup light. This is what you need. There are some great people out there that do it, though. I know if you look at there's a, there's a couple of restaurants out there that have really led design when it comes down to lighting. They say, listen, we want to be a, an Instagram, you know, uh, business and so therefore we're going to light every one of our tables perfectly mm. well done you you've actually pulled all that experience all the way through yep. and and therefore the images that anybody takes with their with their camera are fantastic now the person who's actually trying to then become an instagram uh, you know an instagram feeder if you'd like where people are taking photos of their uh, of their food and they don't give them the right opportunities they don't give them the right lighting they haven't given them the right dishes they haven't given them the None of that is in line, but then they expect the outcome to be similar. Right, yeah, 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 right. I kind of I get what you're saying. It's, um, I mean, it's actually quite simple and straightforward when you think about it. Yes, it takes a bit of planning, takes a bit of experience, and you, and you need that um, understanding of all the little elements that come into it, whether that be in design or brand experience or whether it's you know, understanding operations in that background too. But yeah, it's a, it's a fair breadth. You've got to get it right. Yeah. Where did you get, I suppose, the 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 knowledge of this uh the marketing side the the sort of this experience where did it come from was it something that you had within you or did somebody impart this knowledge onto you I, yeah i think i was always gobby so um that's marketing <laughs> in its own sense um but i as an operator if you like as an f&b operator i then had to sort of decode what experiential marketing was actually before it was actually sort of being decoded when i was with bacardi and and then making sure that it operated well. So I became an F&B operator into a generalist operator, if you like, an experience operator. And whilst all that was happening, Bacardi were fantastic at, at training. They're a very uh, a great company who really look after their, their, their staff and their teams. But working in that global marketing office, I was surrounded by A, brilliant marketeers, uh, but B, they were very, very keen and continuous in their training around marketing as well. Right. Um, and I still remember probably doing what two or three different marketing qualifications through them. And so it was an understanding of brand experience and operations, then coming into that consumer experience and then really understanding what brand experience is all about. And, and that was me. That was my specialism in the end. It was great. Yeah. And remind me how many years were you? Oh, there? eight, nine. Crikey. Wow. Big projects, big, really big projects, really, really, really good fun. Um, great people. Very lucky. Yeah. Okay. And then where did you head? Well, I just actually I just finished two projects. I just finished working on uh, a project for Bombay Sapphire, creating their um, brand experience down in Laverstoke as they um, uh, moved their distillation and everything into into um, in house and put it into the Hampshire countryside. I just finished also uh, creating a home for Grey Goose called Le Logis down in Cognac in France. Amongst other projects that were going on the year, we spent millions in capital and everything was done. And I knew I I there was. Big changes going on anyway, but I knew I was kind of done after about eight, nine years anyway. I said, well, what else is out there? And it was actually a, a, a recruitment agent, funny enough, who I'd spoken to. And oh, I went to go and thank place. Yeah, I know. Oh, not me. Um, <laughs> I actually went across to him and just said, listen, I just wanted to drop in a, a bottle and say thank you. The couple we put into the logis for, for Greece, fantastic, really, really good. He said, by the way, what are you up to right now? And I went, I'm, I'm going, I'm, I'm off. What do you mean you're off? He said, I'm going to take a month off. And funny enough, I'd actually told our HR, I'm so tired from all these projects. I've been working six or seven days a week for the last two years, pretty much. Or not quite, but six days a week, it felt like I was doing six flights a week sometimes. I just said, listen, I'm off. I'm going to take a few weeks off. I'm going to work from home the other months. You know, I'm out. I'm done. And in that time, he actually said, hey, you should have a cup of tea with a friend of mine. Oh, okay, fair enough. And that actually led me into working for Condé Nast International. 
um, as they look to expand their brands, uh, things like Vogue and GQ and Tatler, into hospitality concepts right. uh, and license them and franchise them around the world. So I, I left I left Bacardi on one day, signed into Condonas the next day, and then promptly went on a holiday, funny enough, on a cruise ship in the Caribbean, all on the same day. And I had a nice set of couple of weeks away, knowing that you know one chapter finished, there's another chapter opening up soon with a you know another international powerhouse brand like Condonas. It was fantastic, absolutely. I, again, eye opening for me. Yeah. Um, with a with a really strong, uh, a really strong manager, you know, a, an exemplary chef. Who, had, who was so experienced and so knowledgeable that I was, you know, learning every day, uh, chatting to him in general about hospitality. And then on the brand side, in theory, I should have, you know, probably come in a bit more on that brand side, actually. I was probably less confident than I am now knowing brands. Perhaps I could have come in right at the very beginning. Right, okay, here's, here's where it is and here's what we're up to. But their brands are Vogue Cafe, Vogue Lounge, GQ Bar, uh, The Tatler, uh, were all developed when I was at, uh, at Condé Nast. We were helping franchise and license them out. Yeah. Um, and I was lucky, probably, that because we'd been hosting people, you know, around the world with Bacardi, I'd had a pretty good network around the world anyway. So people would come from, you know, uh, Japan to come and meet the team at Bombay Sapphire uh, at Bacardi. I still knew the operator at Sapporo over in in Japan. So getting in contact with them, saying, "Hey, listen, who, who is operating great restaurants and bars in your territory? I need to know them because I'd like to try and sell them a license or franchise." It, it was a it was a nice it was a nice change actually. I got to know franchise licensing really, really well from a very risk-averse company. It was really challenging sometimes. You know, you could come back with contracts and then not get them through because they were very risk-averse. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, you know, three years there, two and a half, three years there with a with a lovely little team who were who were all very supportive of one another, trying to get things moving. But it was a, an amazing company, absolutely amazing company. The power that that these sort of media brands have is is probably second to none, if you like, compared to anything else I've worked on. Yeah, that was actually when uh, you and I reconnected, wasn't it? After a few oh, years yeah. of non-connection, and oh yeah, that's a that very was, good point, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, and and it was. I remember at the time thinking, well, that's a side of life that I've I just wasn't aware until that point even existed, and I really. Yeah. But if you think about it, it, it absolutely makes sense. You know, you've got really, really strong brands, strong followings. You can probably, based on what you've talked about with your experience at Bacardi, you can probably create really clear experiences around the bl- the brand values. Yeah. Et cetera, yeah, yeah. et cetera. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think that was probably the most difficult thing is to try and do that, not for yourself, but actually get a licensee or a franchisee to do that. Yeah, and so if you'd like, I learned by pushing pushing water uphill, or I learned by uh, the team in general. You know, wanting to do one piece, and I said, "Well, it's not going to work that way. It's not how a brand will act." Um, or having to um, just understand from potential licensees or franchisees what their expectations were, uh, as well, and what you can do and what you don't do. Um, and it's it's when I look at brands and how they act across the world now, I'm always utterly amazed about how people do it. It's so brilliant the way that global brands global brands are managed but that's usually because the brand at the center the actual core brand their core piece is so strong and if it is strong and if it has got that consumer moment and if they can do that planning of the outset and they can manage it well there's a really good chance of it being successful and that's not just due to the fact of saying hey we're successful because we're really good at doing x actually eight you're successful about not just manage your business you're managing your brand and there are some great people out there, great brand managers, great um, uh, great brands in general, who, who were just so impressive that 
you know, every time I look at them, I go, bloody hell, that's good. Yeah. Oh, I'd love to, I'd love to have thought of that. Yeah. Uh, or why didn't I think of that? And so, you know, you sort of, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> you know, but yeah, so very lucky, very, very lucky because uh, just the strength of the brands and things that I've worked with, but also, you know, the contacts that you get when you're at Condé Nast. I'm not saying I obviously ever, ever, I never, ever took anybody up on this whenever I was ever checking into a hotel because it's not the sort of person I am. But if somebody at the reception said, oh, Mr. Taylor from Condé Nast, would you like a room upgrade? I go, no, that's not what I do. I would never have accepted a, a room upgrade at any time from any hotel. Oh, you're a, you're a stronger man than I. No, I'm lying. I took every single one that came to me in every single <laughs> way possible. Thank them very much, but I made it really clear that I'm not a writer. <laughs> yeah. I thought it's only fair. Listen, I don't write. I'm not. I can't help you in any way, shape, or form when it comes to the promotion of your hotel. But thanks for the upgrade. What a lovely view! Yeah. So, no, I, w- I will, I will, I will admit that I, there was a couple of times. I think one time I was in Mumbai in India, and uh, and the guy who I'm still in contact with now, actually, a really lovely guy. Uh, he said, "No, no, no you, we'll host you over in India. You know, we've got a hotel. It's St Regis. I, I go to check in, and I don't need to check in. I've already been checked in. I thought, wow, that's really nice. The guy's, he's all, you know, he's done that, and you know." Yep. And actually what had happened was he basically upgraded me to one of his top suites, if not the top suite. So I've got the 55th floor or whatever it is at this um, at St. Regis. So Firestar Hotel, middle of Mumbai. I think I've got windows on three sides. I've got, wow. you know, a uh, a sitting room that I probably could have done circuits in. I'm not obviously <laughs> that fit, but I probably could have done circuits in it. A bedroom where I could have slept in a sort of different position of a part of a bed. It was that bit, you know. And actually, that was just hospitality. I think he just enjoyed doing it. I know he's trying to sort of tap the brands and that sort of thing. If I went over now, he'd probably be like, don't stay in my hotel. You, you know, you're not smart enough. But right. the, the the thing of, oh, he's with Condé Nast, and there was that sort of cachet of even hosting or talking to that brand. And I have to admit, I've been very, very lucky. It opened a, a, an incredible amount of doors for for some really um, interesting conversations, just really interesting high value conversations that I'd have never have had before. And that was happening all the time. So, you know, two, three years of um two, three years of that sort of thing. And it gets you uh, uh it gets you a big old roller decks of uh, of contacts and some really fun people to go chat to again. Yeah. Uh no doubt. I the uh, I'm still amazed at the, the, the people that you come into contact with. I'm I kind of get down on my knees and have a win win world <laughs> I'm still amazed, mate. I tell you I'm still yeah. amazed. I think you'll find that most people don't stick around too long though, Phil, all right? They just they come in, they say hi, they go, Oh, it's you. Okay, fine, I'll I'll yeah. to somebody that's gonna go. Anyway, but you know. So um yeah, I I mean I I, I also remember at that time when we when we uh, reconnected that, that I I just found it really really fascinating to listen to some of the stuff that you were getting your teeth into. Mm-hmm. I, it was such a a really from the outside looking in really cool thing that you were that you were up to. But and I suppose then that all of these experiences that you've garnered over the years have really taken you to you know what you're doing now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't really by choice either. I mean, sometimes sometimes things just like working in hospitality comes up and hits you on the back of the head saying you should do that because that's your kind of personality. Yeah, just starting my own my own business, if you'd like, was was something I felt that I had to go and do. Yeah. You did it so you left Bacardi and then straight into your own business or Well, I left Bacardi, Condenast three years, and then I came out of Condenast. There's a lot of changes going on with the Condenast. They were absolutely brilliant. I thoroughly enjoyed working with them. I had a, a re a very lovely, very gentle boss. I'd had uh, a second child. She was, I can't remember how old actually, but, you know, I was given a bit of an opportunity as well. Do you fancy a bit of time off and, and you know, we've got to restructure. Yeah, totally. Thank you, Richard. So I was, I was very lucky and it gave me that sort of platform. And yeah. the, the, 
the fortune is when you go and chat to a few people that you, you've known over a period of time is that they ask you to work with them. That was an immediate thing. Hey, do you fancy going working with me then? You can do a bit of business development, I'll pay you X. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> is that what? Okay. Or people would uh, phone me up and ask basically to buy my Rolodex. It's like, no, go away. Uh, it, yeah. right, you email people from your Rolodex about our services and we'll, we'll give you X per email. No, sod off. So, oh, that's, so that was coming that's what I should have done. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. In one way, I should have done that, but in another way, that would have been pretty disingenuous. But um, yeah, so I was quite, I was quite glad I didn't do that. But what it did, as I was going to come out and look for other work, what it actually did is just ratified the fact that I needed to come out and come and do something else anyway. And and gradually, the the hospitality call, if you'd like, after you know setting up other brands, helping other people with other brands, setting up other businesses, all of a sudden I was like, well, why am I di- why am I not doing my own? my own stuff why am I not doing my own business and I, I sort of sat down and went what am I what do I know what well, I know brands and I know brand experiences so deeply mm. that I can I can be very I'm, I'm that a critical person and that is dreadful I try to be very positive with the stuff that's around me but I can be very critical of you know when I see uh, some other brands going no no you've got the wrong direction you don't know the consumer or whatever that may be um so it's like well I know that really really well I know what experience should be I can walk in and I can walk in and pretty much understand how an experience has to change to really uh, to really win. I was like, fine, okay, I could do all these things. What do I do? Do I do mystery shopping? How do I do? You know, it's that sort of stuff. You you start asking yourself, what are the sweet? What's the suite of my services? Yeah. Um, and we had a whole a whole raft of uh, a whole raft of things. I started writing down. I I set up um, the swipe right um, experience. I had a couple of people around me who I wanted to work with. I'm working on my own would be dreadful. I would be ill-disciplined. I wouldn't make any sense. I'm not the best writer. You know, there's a whole lot of things that I'm not very good at, to be honest. And the people around me are brilliant because they put up with me. Uh, but brilliant because they sort of help out and sort of decode my slightly strange thinking sometimes. And I have to say, that it's one of the greatest things you can do to yourself, actually, is just be honest with yourself and understand what, you know, it's as important to know what you're good at as you're not good at. Yeah. And then, yeah, you know, I think it was a it was a uh, an event I went to once where a guy talked about the fact that stop trying to develop your weaknesses, <laughs> just focus on your strengths because that's where all your energy will come from. That's and... a really good point. Yeah, yeah. And actually, just you're saying that now, Jamal. I, I think I said earlier on just about the the boss that was very good, who had said to me, "Listen, you're not very experienced in that. I can cover a bit of that. You're more experienced in this, and you're going to cover a bit more of this." Yeah. And actually, before that, it was a boss that wasn't experienced in that and kind of, I'm not saying hung me out to dry, but I hung myself out to dry, who could have probably put his arm around me and went, well, you're dreadful at that. Don't do that. Do this. You know, do the thing you're really good at and we'll, we'll, cover, the, we'll cover those other bases. Yeah. And that's exactly to that point is, is if you've got a strength, maximize it. Just keep doing it. Don't try and focus too much on trying to do everything. Um, and I was probably a better, uh, better in fine, I'm better in finance than I am in writing anything. You speak to anyone on my team, I can't write for toffee. I know what I mean. Uh, they think they know what I mean, and sometimes we've got to decode that. But actually, I, I can't do that for toffee. It's not, it's not my skill. I'm not good at that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but I know that through you know reading as much as I do from all sorts of different places, I know how to get in to find out what that consumer moment is, if you like, within a brand, what the experience should be or how that should work, and whether a brand in a certain location could work, whether a brand experience can be developed and changed, whether, you know, and that, that's the sort of pickup. 
Whereas I can sit next to somebody who I think is absolutely brilliant and bright and they'll disagree. But I know, it sounds funny, I know I'm right on some of these things. Uh, and that's because there's a sense behind it. So we've each got our skills. Yeah. Absolutely each got our skills about how things can, um, <laughs> how it can all come together. Absolutely. And then, uh, so you still run uh, Swipe Right Experience? Yeah. So yeah, I've been running Swipe Right Experience now for a couple of years. Uh, it's gone very well. At, you know, Obviously with the coronavirus, everything sort of falls over right now. And right. that is... Uh, horrendous obviously for me as a person because that's a business that I've put a load of time and love and effort into uh, and everything stopped but it's a good time for reflection it's a very very good time for reflection a good time to get off the wheel it's a good time to be at home in force a uh, better time with the family we we also power the, the hospitality portal so coming out of um coming out of swipe right experience we actually created a product kind of our first product called the hospitality portal which is an online um licensing and franchising portal uh, and funding and, and, and other sort of support processes portal for, for brands who are looking to expand and connect around the world. I put a pause on that as well. Uh, for the first time since we launched, I just said, no, I'm not going to promote any any brand work to anybody in hospitality because everybody is suffering right now. There's no, yeah. there's no customers coming through the front door. Everybody is in panic or, or death mode, as in everything's changed. Yeah. And I saw the people we work with or friends of mine, and you, you know, you've seen it too, I remember seeing a, a pal of mine with a, a fantastic sort of gastro pub, and there was a photo of him leaning up against the bar with what looked like an orange juice and lemonade because I think he'd been sweating his backside trying to close the place down properly, trying to look after mm. his staff and all that sort of thing. Yeah. And and his look wasn't we're closing, we're coming back. His look was we're closing, and I don't know whether we're coming back. Yeah. And that is a dreadful thing to look at. It totally because, is. Oh man, I tell you, hospitality isn't a money game. Everything hospitality is a money game is a mug. Because, don't get me wrong, you can earn great money in hospitality. Everybody can, you know, all those other things. If you're really, really good, yeah. If you're going to go into hospitality for money, I don't think that's the right way to go. You go into hospitality because there's a love of it. Yeah. There's a real, genuine love of giving hospitality. That could be making somebody a cup of tea, serving a table. It could be taking a reservation and making sure people have got a great time. It could be somebody in finance or admin or stocking in the back end, making sure that they feel they're helping the people provide the right service that they're going to go and give. Yeah. It could be anything. But that, that hospitality piece, that's a DNA thing. That's a, that's a bit that people love. That's not a, um, oh, I've worked in, you know, uh, photocopiers for the last 10 years. I'm really passionate about them. Well, well done, you will then. You'll get to another industry you'll be passionate about too, no doubt. Yeah, but hospitality is something else, and it's a very innate, intrinsic part of a lot of people, a lot of humans that are working in the industry, and they've, they've been utterly decimated. So, yeah, I hope and pray that, that we'll all be back nice and strong uh, sooner rather than later. But fingers crossed, around. fingers crossed. I agree with you on the the DNA point. I mean, I think you you just have to look at some of the um, the things that 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 companies after they've got through this, I suppose that that week that we all remember where it was everything just stopped, and. You, know, you you go into battle modes. How do I survive? How can I make sure I can at least have the best possible chance of getting through the other side of this? Yeah. And then you come up for air and you can immediately see the you know some amazing work from companies. And I'm just thinking of ones off the top of my head, like Leon, yeah. like Tom Kerridge. Yep. Just two examples of people uh, re-apportioning their business to, to try and yeah. do something for other people yeah. and that's the hospitality thing i mean that's just a hospitality mentality i think so i think um i don't know whether you i wrote a very insightful piece of work of which was edited within an inch of its life <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah you wrote but, it and somebody yeah, else decoded I, it yeah I, exactly yeah, yeah. So I, I wrote it probably on a bit of a bit of a um 
having a bit of a moment. But the one thing I just said is around this was if people don't know what to do, recognize you in hospitality. And hospitality is very much a part of community. You are in a community. You act in your community as a as a as a connector. You act as a host. You act as a um, a lover. You know, if you'd like. You know, you're out there. You're loving other people. You come in and go. Really nice to see you. You know, that is that is a positive affirmation moment for somebody saying, "Hey, I'm in the right place." Yeah. So you know that that's what you're doing already in the in the community. And I was just saying, listen, don't think all of a sudden you're going to change what you do. As in, you're not going to be in hospitality. You're still in hospitality. So with you and your brand. What do you do best? If you yep. are a healthy brand trying to do whatever uh, in the health world, get healthy meals out to the vulnerable. Don't think you, all of a sudden you're going to be a you know a, have a kebab fan with your stuff and do healthy meals and try and do it that way. No, go and get healthy meals out to people. You're there. You're looking after people's health. You know, do, do you need to do more mental health? Do you need to do more healthy recipes for home or whatever else it is? But stay in your little territory of hospitality, but branch out of it. And say, right, what do I do? I do this. Great. How can I can continue doing that, whether it's for money or not right now? But how can I continue doing that in my sphere of influence in the territory that I work in? And those brands that you're mentioning, you know, and Mildred's, and oh, there's a, a raft of fantastic brands who are just telling me, go, yeah. oh, we know what we're doing. We'll do this. Because they live it and they breathe it and it's honest and it's absolute and it's great. And they've just gone ahead and gone, yeah, that's what we do. That's what we do for our living. That's, yeah. You know, whether we're going to get um, money to, uh, keep our, our our house breathing from the government. Great. Um, whether we can get some sponsorship money from people who can donate to our charity, if you'd like. Great. But we'll put air in the lungs of the people around us, just like they put air in the lungs of us when we're here too. It's a it's a relationship, and there've been some yeah. fantastic community things. I know you've. I'll blow your trumpet. You're on the you're on the round table world, I think, as well. And you've done a right. I think we were going to do this a while, but I'm sorry, mate, I can't do today. We've got this whole thing to go and do with the round table. A whole lot of vulnerable people need help. It's like, bloody hell, that's amazing. That's the community spirit. That's the the genuine human spirit that I think is actually probably one of the very few positives that are big positives that are coming out of this situation. Yeah. And I think that the the great thing about that is is that the uh, the these stories well, this is not a great thing, but these stories don't dominate the news. <laughs> and yet they do dominate actually what's going on. Yeah. A, a lot of the the kind of the negative stuff is the stuff that's always going to get the news because that's just the way that they, these guys operate. Yeah. But, you know, the, the it hammers home to me that there are an awful lot more wonderful people out there than not. Mm. Um, mm. And, but... Uh, Anyway, I, I, I think that's bang on. I think the um, her match, the Queen. Um, I should stand as I say that probably, but um, yeah. she she had a um, uh, her speech recently yesterday, Dave, um, and she was bang on. She just said the community, the people, what unites us. She also mentioned this sort of slight. I, I can't remember her exact words, but something that was a humorous element. You know, there's yep. a strength and a humility, but also a humorous way of doing it. I was like, do you know what? You're bang on. There were some really good people who actually are standing up right now who are really helping other people. And it is incredible. And yes, yeah. it might be a little bit dark humor, but there's some really fantastic people knocking around. And I don't yeah. actually think, I, I'm, obviously there are other countries around the world that do this very, very well. I don't actually think anybody does it better for me because I am British, English, whatever you want to be referred to as. I don't think many people around the world have that sort of sense of humility humor when you're doing it you know backs against the wall type stuff but doing it in a certain way yeah different people fight in different ways when they do these types of things but yeah just really impressed with the i'm very very impressed with the british public and what they've been up to and 
Uh, always love to do more. We've been sponsoring or helping wherever we can, and we're trying to get some projects together about trying to help people. But everything that everybody else does that I see is always 10 times more than uh, that whatever I could do. So they're around. That's yeah, no, I agree. I, I kind of look at a, a lot of these things because I, I, I remember that that week and thinking in the first part of the week, oh my God, you know, where's where's the livelihood gone? Mm. And then you cut, you do come up for it and you start to look outward. And even at that point, there were people beginning to do things, and I'm thinking, wow, where where the hell did that come from? Mm. In terms of the the the, the quickness to mobilize. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> You know, I hadn't even yeah. thought of that yet. Yeah, That's, yeah. it's phenomenal. Very impressive stuff out there, and that is, you know, wholeheartedly appreciated and extremely impressive. And that is the the backbone of hospitality in itself. So yeah, yeah, that that Absolutely. gives me hope. We'll we'll fight back on the uh, on the industry globally, not just in the UK. Yeah, totally. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Okay, let's bring it back to the, some lighthearted discussion. Oh, more joyful stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You've uh, you've operated in some quite interesting places across your career. You got any examples of of some hilarious or stupid things that have happened to you along the way? Listen, you and I have worked on cruise ships. We've seen some hilarious and stupid. Things. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, I, I've seen some. Man, I've seen some wonderful things. I've seen some disastrous things because it's it's human. I think it's probably the right way to describe that. You know, yeah. it's really really human. I've um, ha- I've seen my raw meat, raw uh, frozen pig's brain or whatever it was in the highlands of Mexico, being put back in the same tray that it just came from after it had been deep fried in a little taco pit thing. And I went, oh. I'm not sure it should go back in the same raw meat section. That's not very good, is it? But of course, you're oh, going to eat you know, it. That, that reminds me of the uh, advanced food hygiene course when I was with PO. And they took you off to a, it was a training company out Bristol Way. I can't remember the name, but yeah. um, uh, as part of the, the course, they would take you out into the field mm. and a local hotel would offer themselves as a, as a place for us to come and do like a mock assessment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm betting that this hotel wished that they hadn't done it because all I remember was, this is the only thing I remember from, from doing the assessment was that they had uh, raw lamb sitting on a in a colander dripping yeah. uh, into fresh fruit salad mm. oh, nom 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 oh dear yeah but um there are some mistakes yeah. out there actually one of the other mistakes i had in the middle east i lost an event gig to a large reputable hotel chain they were kind of the other uh, the other big event supplier in the city uh, and it was for a business group they had a big sort of yearly and instead of doing it with us which they did everything else with us they went to this this what this one gig and i I went along, in, I was allowed to go to the background and just go and say hi. Um, I went along and I had a quick look at the menu. And on that menu, right at the very bottom was, uh, you know, a selection of British cheeses with syphilis chutney. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I've got the gig back then, haven't I? And what they were trying, actually what had happened was whoever was writing the menu had looked at the box on the side and it was meant to be kumquat, which is uh, facilis. It actually says on the side of right. facilis. And of course, word has changed it and adapted that into a true spelling and grammar. And instead of having uh, kumquat chutney, it ended up being syphilis chutney. Oh, um, and, I, and I got that event back. Happy day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's superb. Yeah, that's, <laughs> you're, you're absolutely right. I think the, the point is, is that the, the majority of these experiences come from the human element it's all human error that mistakes come from and you know the the laughing and the the giggling all comes from things that humans do and that's it's just such a wonderful industry for that i think yeah yeah yeah. but that's part of it isn't it 
I mean, the amount of times that we've ever gone, or you and I, or however, wherever anybody else has gone, and sometimes the best food you have is from the guy who hasn't washed his hands in the last, you know, 20 minutes cooking um, on a on a barbecue on a harbour in Sicily, and you've got fresh sardines. They'll be the fresh sardines, fresh sardines you've ever tasted. Yeah. I often like a lot of these experiences that we run to as well. Do you remember the times you go to Greece and you drink ouzo or whatever the local the local spirit or the local uh, the drinks are there and then on that spot? And then you bring a bottle home and you taste it at home and it tastes the awful. Yeah, that is it. That is that is absolutely the two ends of it. Which is oh, I think I do this at home. Yeah. No, you can't. You can't give me the warmth, the heat, the day, the experience, no. the get up, the escapism, the service, the lack of like. You can't do any of those things by just taking that bottle at home and expecting it to be the same. Yeah. If you like the drink, you want to keep it the same, great. But actually, what you're trying to create is recreate that experience. You can't recreate that experience like that. It just does not work. No, absolutely. Uh, and that's the two ends of the spectrum. Well, prime example of that is, did you ever do Bon Jardin in Lisbon? Chicken Maybe. and chips? Maybe. <laughs> just chicken bon and chips that's all it used to serve and they did Bon Jardin Bottle of Mateus Rosé yep. 10 euros oh winner yeah and went, but the I thing is Mateus Rosé yeah. with all due respect to um, to that particular bottle of wine it doesn't I'm going to be political here it doesn't agree with me oh, fair enough in fact I find it quite rancid but in that um, in enough. that environment perfect perfectly enjoyable yep I think it's, I tell you what and and, and the funny bit is actually, Matthew's had a bit of a comeback, hasn't it, the last couple of years, to be honest. Um, and, and and rightly so, it's the occasion. That brand knows its occasion moment, which is outside, bit of sunshine, salty barbecue food. Do you fancy something fairly refreshing to you know clean that palate? It's got to be actually a bit of a palate cleanser. You've got your barbecue food a bit um, a bit saltier, a bit fatty. Well, okay, go with that then. Yeah. And and they they knew their market. They got into. I think they've done quite well actually, Matthew, to to, to come back because it did have a bit of a bad, bad, bad reputation, which wasn't quite deserved. Yeah. And actually, I think it's got a much better reputation now. But you and I, uh, knowing Bon Jardin, uh, Bottle Mateus Rose, the spicy chicken, the extremely salty chips. Um, yeah. Every time I've been back in Lisbon, I've I've either passed it or gone in and and um, and had a bag of chips. Yeah. yeah. Incredible place. Got to be done. Great experience. Absolutely. So <laughs> I suppose we need to start wrapping this up, really. Uh, we could probably talk all day, but we can do that. Uh, over, let's, over let's, yeah, we'll do that offline. Else, yeah. um, <laughs> if, what would you say to, to somebody who was who's considering a career in hospitality? Uh, Matt, I, so everybody knows on this podcast, you've sent me some questions just in case. You know, you, um, we need to structure it, which is wonderful and well done. I saw this. And I, and I got a bit pissed at you. I was like, no. Okay, so the answer to your question is, if somebody's considering hospitality, do not do it. Okay, yeah. That's, that's the simple answer. Because if you're, con- if you're considering hospitality, you're probably not necessarily the right type of person to be in hospitality in itself. Now, notwithstanding that, caveat it very slightly with, if you're considering it, get into it and try it. Give it a little bit of a, a, a test and whatever. Hospitality, I completely believe, is in, in a DNA type of people's personality. Yep. You can have a massive range of super shy, not outgoing, not whatever people in hospitality, and you have the really outgoing people and the real vivacious sort of you know jazz hands, tits and teeth people. They're out there too. It's a real wide guys. But I do think if you ever consider, oh, I'm thinking about hospitality – you're probably not in the right space. Interesting perspective. You're probably actually not intrinsically DNA. Yeah, no, I can see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. So go and, you know, go pick bank. It was the word of your question. I got upset for a minute. I was like, no, hospitality is better than that. Yeah, I'll I'll reword, I'll rebrand. Maybe you can give me some guidance on experience. Um, (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> on experience, yeah, on, on rewording something, probably not. Absolutely. The only uh, thing that I'd say in response to that is, is that I definitely didn't have an immediate love of the industry. I probably came about because my, my parents started and ran a, a bed and breakfast in uh, an island on the west coast of Scotland. Yeah. But like you, I was a teenager at the time and uh, I was really heavily into sport yeah. and exploring teenagery type things uh, and work wasn't high up the list of priorities. So I don't think yeah. it was necessarily a, a hospitality that I wasn't in love with. It was just work yeah. at that point uh, in my life. Mm-hmm. But I, I'd, I'd say that basically what you just said, which was if you are giving it a consideration, just go in. I mean, give it a go, throw yourself at it. You, know, you, you could work and meet with some of the most amazing people that you could ever come into contact with. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then you you know you're immediately hooked and and away you go, or maybe you try something and it's not the right place for you. But it doesn't mean that hospitality is not the right place yeah. for you. It may just be a cultural thing. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, and do you know the the range of people in hospitality is phenomenal as well, isn't it? Yeah, I've worked with people. I've actually employed waiters who are their own entrepreneurial businessmen now, earning millions of dollars. Yeah, that's phenomenal. And you look at it and go, oh, wow, you know. And, and other people who are still waiters because they love it. Yeah, and that's the range of people in hospitality, and and it's a, you know it's a real people business, I, I believe. Uh, yeah, it's a real service business. You've got to enjoy serving or enjoy that part of service. And uh, I think it's the you know it's one of the best industries to be out there with. So yeah. happy days. Absolutely, great stuff. Okay, so if people want to get a hold of you to uh, to have a chat or pick your brains, how do they go about doing that? Uh, the, the website, the link under this is podcast. Have a quick look at swiperightexperience.com. Uh, if they're looking at sort of, if they're looking at a project or a great idea they've got to, what they want to bring to, to hospitality, they can look at the hospitalityportal.com. They can get in contact with you or make a comment or whatever. And, and, and no doubt we'll, um, uh, share some details. And I'm always up for a, uh, a chat with whoever at any time. Yep. Um, if they need a bit of advice, especially, you know, I would say it's downtime. We're doing a lot of planning at the moment, but in this downtime, the amount of conversations we're having with people that are, we think we need, great. As long as you're paying for your own coffee on the other end of the, <laughs> yeah. um, on the other end of the screen, then uh, that I'm good with that. Pick up the phone, come say hi, and uh, look forward to speaking with everyone. Fantastic, Simon. Thank you very much for your time. It's been a pleasure. No, it's been a pleasure chatting with you as well, and uh, and no doubt we'll speak again soon. Certainly will. Take care. Thanks very much. Cheers. And there we have it. Another shining example of the variety of opportunity available within hospitality and some fantastic insight into what it takes to create a brand. A big thank you to Simon for sharing his story. Don't forget, we launch a brand new episode each week, so hit that subscribe button on any of the podcast apps and please don't forget to leave us a written review. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.